What a good song with a really simple but important message. I will surrender to my greatest, highest good. I will surrender to my greatest, highest good. Touch your heart and softly say that with me. I will surrender to my greatest, highest good. And one more time. I will surrender to my greatest, highest good. That puts an entirely different spin on the idea of surrender, doesn't it? Surrender, as we practice it spiritually and metaphysically, isn't a giving up. It's a giving into or yielding into our greatest, highest good. A yielding into the power and the presence and the potential of God within us. That's what we surrender to. It's a perfect segue, really, into the message that I want to share with you this morning. We have been exploring together Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way. And oftentimes, we don't look at obstacles as being the way, but instead, we look at obstacles as being in the way. And there's quite a difference between those two viewing points. The viewing point that says the obstacle is in the way, and the viewing point that says the obstacle isn't in the way, the obstacle is actually the way, the way. It fits perfectly, really, with our spiritual practices, with our metaphysical way of looking at life, for we see everything from a mystical and metaphysical point of view as a potential catalyst for our own growth and development. And so we look at stumbling blocks, really, as stepping stones, not just as a cliche, but really our stumbling blocks are our stepping stones. We look at those things that seem to be an impediment as really the opportunity for our own empowerment. In Ryan Holiday's book, he again and again points to this idea that no obstacle is too big to overcome. I've challenged you throughout this series to come to church on Sunday morning with your biggest obstacle and to really keep that in your mind as you listen to the music, as you meditate, as you listen to the message, and as you listen to what God is saying to you while you're in this very room. So let me ask you a question. How many of you do have an obstacle that you are working with in your life right now? Excellent. You're in the right place. You're in the right energy and paying attention not only to what is happening around you, but what is happening within you, you will find the way to get to the other side of whatever that obstacle may be. Quick review, Ryan Holiday suggests that there are three disciplines that are necessary in order to experience obstacles as the way and not in the way. The first two are the discipline of perspective, and the discipline of inspired action. Today we're going to take a look at the discipline of will, but I wanna circle back and make sure we're on the same page because the discipline of perception and the discipline of inspired action are key, 
are absolutely key. So the discipline of perception is the discipline of how we choose to look at whatever it is that we are calling a great big problem, a great big obstacle. And it doesn't matter where that obstacle is in what area of our lives. Have you noticed how obstacles do show up no matter how much you pray and no matter how long you've been on the spiritual path and no matter how good natures and kind-hearted you are, that you still have obstacles showing up in your life and that they're sometimes repeat obstacles and sometimes they're brand new ones. And you wonder how in the world did this ever wind up in my life? But we live in an infinite and very creative universe, so there are many reasons and ways that these things show up in our lives. The discipline of perception is the discipline of knowing that what we name this obstacle, how we choose to perceive it, how we choose to look at it, dramatically impacts the way we interact with it. I challenged you last week to start referring to your great big obstacle, not as a great big obstacle, but as your big delightful project. Your big delightful project. So now how many of you have a big delightful project going on in your lives. I bet it feels different, doesn't it? It really does, even if you can only hold on to that for a moment. Even if you can only hold on to it while you're sitting here for a moment, you have a shift in energy about it. That, oh, it's not this big, awful obstacle. I can choose to interact with it in a different way. I can choose to see it as a big, delightful project. What are God and I gonna do about it? How are we going to meet it? That perception, the discipline of that kind of perception is a huge step in the right direction toward being able to dissolve, get over, get under, or get around whatever it may be. The second discipline that Holiday says we must have is a discipline of inspired action. Say that with me, inspired action. What does that imply? Inspired action, what does it imply? It implies that there are actions that are not inspired. We can be very busy, can we not? About lots and lots and lots of things but it does not mean that everything we are busy about is particularly important. Nor does it mean that all the ways that we are busy are particularly helpful or healthy or constructive. To be involved in the discipline of inspired action, Holiday says, is to see our action from three very distinct points of view to see our inspired action as action that comes in service to our greater life. In service to our greater life. Those are rich words. The word service is a beautiful word. To be in service to something is to foster it, to facilitate it, to nurture it, to love it. 
that inspired action is in service to our greater life. Are you interested in your greater life? I'm interested in my greater life. I'm interested in your greater life. No matter how good your life is right now, I pray for you, I hope for you. I still have all the letters you wrote at the end of the year in my office that I look at. I haven't opened them because they're sealed, they're yours. But I look at them and I hold for you that whatever you wrote on those pieces of paper is your dreams for this new year, that they are coming true for you, not as some airy-fairy thing, but because you are practicing. You are practicing. Inspired action is action that is in service to your greater life. Inspired action is action that comes from your higher self. What does that imply? It implies you have a higher self and you have a self that is not your higher self. You can call it your lower self, you can call it anything you want. We all know this resides in us. We all know that we have the, the light of God, the light of the divine within us, unlimited potential within us, the God presence within us, whatever we want to call it. And we also know that we have other aspects of ourselves that we sometimes meet when we are angry or upset or when life isn't going our own way, right? But inspired action is action that comes from our higher self. And inspired action is, is action that is part of a process, a step-by-step-by-step -step -step process, a process that recognizes that I cannot, I must not, I should not wait to get started until after I have seen all of the steps laid out before me, but rather instead, I am in service to and in action of what is the step I can take right now that's before me. And so we move into the third discipline, the discipline of will. Say that with me. The discipline of will. You know the word will kind of gets a bad rap in new thought. And I was thinking about that. Why do we have issues with the word will? Kind of like we have issues with the word control and what it represents. There is a place to be in control. I prefer the word mastery myself than control, but there is a place for that, just as there is a place for surrender. So why do we have issues with will? I think that sometimes we have issues with the word will because we think of stubbornness, that a person who is willful or has willpower is stubborn. How many of you just wish you could people your life with more and more individuals who are stubborn? You'd love to marry or be in partnership with a stubborn person. You want to work for a stubborn boss. You want to have stubborn neighbors. You want to have stubborn in-laws and you want stubborn co-workers, right? <laughs> Why not? Because stubborn's not very pleasant, is it? It's not a pleasant energy to be around. It's not a pleasant energy to be around. So I was thinking, well, what's kind of the difference between stubborn and willpower? And I think that stubborn really can be described as want power. Stubborn is about no, no, digging your heels in, even when you know you're wrong, right? Digging your heels in. Whereas willpower or persistence is really about that deep yes 
that comes from our gut, that comes from our soul, that comes out of our knowingness that somehow, some way, God and I can make it through, around, over, or under, or past whatever this big, delightful project is that's in my life right now. A couple of statements from Charles Fillmore, the co-founder of Unity, and one from Ernest Holmes, the co-founder of the Science of Mind Teachings. I want to really make sure that we're on the same page, that will is a good thing, that will rightly used is a good thing, and what will actually is. According to Charles Fillmore, will number one is one of our 12 powers. Charles looked at Jesus' 12 disciples, mystically and metaphysically, as re representing 12 very important spiritual powers or faculties. Some of them are the faculties of faith, the faculty of imagination, the faculty of love, the faculty of release. One of them is the faculty of will. And he looked at the disciple Matthew and how Matthew was in Jesus' life and what the word Matthew coming from the ancient languages meant. And he figured, he believed that Matthew represented will. And this is what Charles Fillmore wrote about will. He said, the will is the executive faculty of the mind, the determining factor in man, the executive faculty of the mind, the determining factor in man. What man wills or decrees comes to pass in his experience. And then Charles goes on to quote part of the book of Job, thou shalt decree a thing and it shall be established unto thee. The will is the center in mind and body around which revolve all the activities that constitute consciousness. It is the avenue through which the I am, which is the name of God within us, it is the avenue through which the I am expresses its potentiality. The use of the will is very important in making demonstrations. The word demonstration was very popular during the early days of metaphysics. The word demonstration simply means to bring into physical form something you were working on. Another word for it is manifestation or achieving your goals. And so Charles is saying that this right use of our power of will is essential is essential in our being able to manifest that greater life, we could say, to be able to manifest the good that we are desiring in our lives. Here's a little bit from Ernest Holmes, the, co -found, or the founder of the science of mind. He writes, will is the conscious directive power of the intellect, and as such has a very important place in the creative order. But in no case is it to be used as though it could force things to happen. It is not to be used to try to force things to happen. And then he goes on to explain that the forcing of things to happen doesn't work because as soon as we let go of the energy of force, what happens to what we were trying to force? It goes right back how? To the way it was before. And we don't have to force, if we are in alignment with the creative power of spirit, it has its own force, it has its own energy, and we are striving to align ourselves with and ride with that. So the discipline of will 
Ryan suggests that will, there are many synonyms for will. He says, will feels a bit like resilience. It feels like flexibility. There's an aspect of humility to it. It feels like inner strength. One statement he makes in the book that I particularly resonated with was this. Will is our inner might. Will is our inner might. Say that with me. Will is our inner might. Will is an inner might. And he says that will, that inner might, inspires us to think differently, inspires us to develop new skills, inspires us to adapt, inspires us to be flexible, inspires us, inspires us to toughen up that inner might. You have more in you than what you have yet expressed. Again and again, we must look at that thing called that obstacle, the big delightful project, as being the catalyst for us to get in touch with a whole level of inner might and strength and will than we ever had to exercise before. If we were to really be bold, we would, we would say of that big, delightful project, that's the very reason it is in my life right now, is to help me find a capacity of strength I never knew I had before. I remember well, just two summers ago, hiking the Inca Trail with my family and a very small group of our people who were on our Travel with a Purpose trip to Peru. And though I was and am in pretty decent physical condition, it is a long, arduous hike. And on day two, which is the hardest part of the hike itself, it is called, it, the, the hike itself is called Dead Woman's Summit. How is that to wake up in the morning to affirm I'm going to walk Dead Woman's Summit. It's a nine-hour hike, 10 miles. I forget how many thousands of feet you ascend on that particular day, but when you come up to the top of Dead Woman's Summit, you are at just under 14,000 feet. The views are beautiful, the air is very thin, and it takes a while to catch your breath. To find a strength within oneself that you never had to call upon before, because we live at sea level, right? <laughs> and hiking around Lake Miramar even two or three times or jogging it, as great as that is, doesn't feel, does it, is not the same demand on the physical body as something like that. But how do any of us ever know what we are capable of? if we are not willing to push ourselves beyond what we have done before to step into that unknown. And it is the inner might within us and the practice of taking again and again God with us as our partner, literally and figuratively every step of the way, whether we're talking and walking up a hike and a tall mountain, or whether we're talking just walking one step after the next step that we identify after the next step, through and around, over, under, or beyond, whatever seems like the big obstacle that faces us. It's not by force. 
It's not by digging our heels in. It's not the no. It is the yes that comes from a yielding to the power not only that we haven't tapped in ourselves, but the power of God within us. This is what it means to begin to live our lives from the inside out, what it means to live our lives where our spiritual faith and practice is demonstrated where the rubber meets the road. It isn't just what we do when we come together in the nice, beautiful confines of a place like this. It's who shows up in the midst of the tough stuff in our lives, whether it's physically demanding stuff, financially challenging stuff, emotionally heartbreaking stuff, doesn't matter what the stuff is, but what do we bring to it when we see that it is in our path? Do we bring to it the awareness that it is not in the way of anything, it is the way to something great, and that something great is something that already exists in me, but I've yet to have the opportunity to call it forth. Ryan, as he writes about inspired, or as he writes about the discipline of will, gives a story that is old, but I still love it. It's a story that comes out of um, Thomas Edison's life. And he suggests that Edison really practice all three of these disciplines. Of course, he didn't call them the discipline of perception or the discipline of inspired action or the discipline of will, but nonetheless, he embodied these practices. And he articulates the story in Edison's life when Edison was about 67 years old, very successful in his career already, had left his laboratory for the day and was home getting settled in for dinner when he got an urgent message that the laboratory was on fire. And he made his way back to the laboratory and as he got there, a crowd had already gathered. There were fire departments that had come from eight communities around trying to put out fire that was shooting up green and yellow flames six and seven stories high. And as Edison made his way through the crowd, looking for his adult son, when he finally found him, grateful, of course, that he was alive, he said to his son, go get your mom and tell your mom to bring all of her friends to watch this. <laughs> and the son was incredulous and said, why? And Edison said, because they will never, ever see another fire like this as long as they live. Do you want to be like that? I want to be like that. When there is a great big fire in my life, when there is a great big problem in my life, I want to have the energy like that. I want to have the energy that says, all right, it's here. Let's get all my friends and enjoy the show. <laughs> and he did. And he did. He was interviewed the following day and the reporters questioned him about, well, you know, maybe it's time to, to give up. You lost a lot of stuff in that fire. His answer to losing a lot of the stuff was that a lot of rubbish was burned. Well, I'm sure there was some rubbish burned, but there were prototypes burned and pa important papers burned and all sorts of things. But he had this energy and this attitude of not giving up, of an inner might, an inner strength, an inner will. I like the way Ryan writes about it. He says his, no, his, re, his reaction was remarkable, to, to be certain. But then Ryan says, but when you think about it, 
there really was no other response that would have made any real difference. There was no other response that would have made any real difference. What should he have done? Wept? Plenty would. Blamed someone for not turning off a Bunsen burner or properly extinguishing a cigarette? Might have been justified. <clears throat> Gotten angry at the manufacturers of the fireproof concrete? Common reaction would have been to what? Go sue him? Just give up? After all, he was 67 years old and he'd already done so many remarkable things. I mean, those <clears throat> certainly could have been responses and reactions, but would they have done any good? No. Do you think the reaction of, well, go get your mom and let's watch the fire? You know, and maybe if they could have gotten close enough safely, they would have said, let's take some marshmallows and have a marshmallow roast. Did that change, would any of those things have changed what was going on? No, because at that point, there was nothing to change about what was going on. But would any of those have changed the energy and the attitude going forward? One of them certainly would change the energy and the attitude going forward in the most positive of directions. What happened after that, believe it or not, in a period of three weeks, part of the factory was rebuilt. In a period of a couple of months, they were running two shifts of workers around the clock, continuing to produce products and items and beginning to produce new things. And at the end of that year, even though that he suffered over a million dollars in damages, which by today's account would be $23 million, by the end of that year, a year later, he made nearly $10 million in revenue, or the equivalent today of 200 plus million dollars. If he had retained an energy of pure bitterness or victimhood, I wonder if the story would have ended that way. I wonder, and I wonder what would have gone inside, what would have gone on inside his psyche. And so you see the discipline of perception, what we name something, how we choose to look at it is so very, very important. We teach in metaphysics that no matter what is happening to us, we always have a choice in how we're going to look at it and what we're going to tell ourselves about it. And by golly, what we tell ourselves about it is really powerful and very important. The discipline of inspired action, of doing what you can do, paying attention to it being in service to your greater life, not what you've lost, but what you're trying to birth, what you're trying to bring forth. And then the discipline of will, to find that inner might, even when so much seems to have been lost, to find that inner might, to take spirit as your partner and say, okay, what is the step I can take forward now? Let me take that and let me know that I never have to take it alone. Namaste. Thank <clears throat> you.